I hope you don't mind a bit of a note before I get into the homily. I, I want to uh, take a moment. My dad and my big brother Paul are here, and uh, he just gave me a look. Um, but um, I'm so grateful uh, for my dad and for all the dads, uh, the good ones uh, in the world. I think uh, when I saw them sitting there together, all I could think of when I was a kid was how many people would bring their cars over, uh, busted up cars. This was the 70s and the 80s, and you could get a good 6,000 miles out of a car back then. Uh, but it didn't matter who they were, they could fix anything. And uh, I would watch them fixing people's cars and, or getting in the car and going and fixing someone's sink or whatever. And, uh, and it all crystallized for me when my brother Paul, I saw him the first time holding his daughter Elizabeth, his, your, your first, and I, I just, he's the biggest, strongest guy I know. And he was so tender with her. And I thought, that's it. I'll never forget, it was your apartment in Inkster. I, I says, him and dad mastered strength under control. Uh, and the use of their incredible strength well. And I just, I'm so grateful today. Uh, and I think it's a good image for us to consider when we talk about the body and blood of our Lord, that it, it can, I can never say this enough, and I know I've said it a lot, but you're stuck. You know, uh, the whole idea of God is power. He's not powerful. He's power itself. He is all that is good. And the way he gives himself, you may remember in the Old Testament, every time he tried to appear to people, it almost killed them. And even Moses, who got to see the most of God, it says he saw the back of his foot, and it almost killed him. And so what did our God do with our tininess and his greatness and his desire to come to us in a way that won't wipe us out, well, I'll become bread. I'll become breakable. I'll become ignorable. I'll become hidden and tiny. And I just can't get over that. Uh, and I hope we never do. I hope none of us ever forget the insane love and wonder of the Eucharist, yeah? You talk about power under control. Um, wow. What I, I prayed a lot about this homily because my tendency would be to talk for 82 minutes and cover 5% of the Eucharist. Uh, and last year, uh, I, I just tried to, my best to describe what is the Eucharist. Because when I grew up, I didn't know. Uh, I, I didn't know. Um, I knew we had to kneel a lot and that if we messed around during Mass, um, well, yeah, happy Father's Day. Uh, it wasn't until I got into seminary, and again, you know, in seminary, I was like, they don't mean that. I, I misunderstand this. And actually, I'll never forget the day it hit me that my reaction was a good one. This is too much. This is shocking. But what I would like to do is share with you a section of, uh, in a sense, how I felt the Lord calling me to be a priest, because it was through this gospel. Um, I wear this ring. This is from my brothers and sisters. Uh, they had it made for me when I got ordained, and it's got the loaves and fish on it from today's, well, a picture of them, not the actual. 
that would be weird. Uh, and they gave me a chalice, and it's got the loaves and fish on it. And I got a cake that had loaves and fish on it. All I knew for the longest time is that for some reason, that reading connected me to the priesthood. And, and I know I've shared this with you before, but I did not want to be a priest. The priests I encountered did not seem like happy people. Um, and, and I even, I joked, I remember one time saying to a, a buddy of mine, you know, about the priesthood, I said, well, gosh, they all seem so angry, you know, and if I want to be angry, I'd like to be rich, too. Uh, that would <laughs> seem to be important. Um, but it was, I, my mom had this Bible when she died. It was my first Bible as a little squeaker, and I had, I don't remember this, but I had circled this gospel. And I wrote in my little seven-year-old handwriting, April 10th, 1978, Jesus wants me to be a priest. And it was something that in my heart was always in the background, but again, it did not have much interest for me. Um, my siblings uh, were starting to have kids, and I wanted to get married and have a bunch of kids. Um, and it just, I didn't know anybody else who was considering the priesthood. But every once in a while, this reading would pop up in a crazy way, and it would always bring it back to my heart. And when I was 17, I was talking to my best friend in the world, uh, Jeff Rose, and I finally told him my dreadful secret. Uh, I feel like the Lord's calling me to be a priest, and I'd rather not. And he just did this, and, and he said, me too. I've been feeling that. Now, we've been friends since we were children. Uh, we still are. We're just taller. Uh, but it blew me away, and so we went to the vocation director's office. It was a different diocese than this one, because um, I was baptized in another diocese, so it was, I had to apply there. And that interview lasted 10 minutes. And um, no, right? Uh, the priest said a lot of very strange things, and it was pretty clear neither of us wanted to, to be in that room much longer together. And so I got shot down, and Jeff got shot down. And to some extent, I was like, sweet, done. I can say I tried, yeah? And then a few months later, um, one of my, or two of my sisters actually were graduating from a Catholic university, and we went down as a family uh, to congratulate them and see the commencements. And so they had mass, and then we walked in this huge group over somewhere, I can't remember, Edie's here, she might, but uh, wherever that was, it was a long walk and there were a ton of us and we were walking and all of a sudden, this dude, uh, a priest, comes out of his house and he looks like, like my first thought seriously was something happened in the rectory and he needed help. Because um, he came out and he was doing this and then all of a sudden he saw me and he pointed. Now it's a big old crowd of people. And he pointed at me, and I'm like, going in my head, I didn't do anything, you know, that, you know, uh, a six-hour drive, how would he know, you know? Uh, but he did, he said, come here. And, and I, I approached him, and he said, I was inside praying, and the Lord told me a priest is going to walk by, and I want you to go see him. And he said, it's you. And I told him, oh, they, they, don't, they don't want me, you know, uh, and he said, well, sit with me. We're going to pray. 
And I told him, he said, why do you think Jesus is calling you to be a priest? And I told him about this gospel. And he said, why that reading? I said, I have no idea. I just know every time I hear it, I hear this voice in my heart saying, I need you to be a priest. And so he said, well, let's pray. And he says, there's a Bible right here. And so I picked up the Bible and I opened it and honest to God, there was this reading. First thing I saw. And I'm like, all right, you know, I can try again. Um, and so, uh, you know, it took me a year, uh, but I went in again this time for Lansing and my buddy Jeff, and they said, no, that, that one didn't last five minutes. Um, and again, I walked out going, okay, yeah, you know, I'm going to go meet a lady, you know, uh, but this just stayed with me and it was, let me see. One, two, three, four years later, I was finished with college and um, everything seemed to be going well, you know? I had what I was looking for in life at that point, but I couldn't shake this feeling. I, I told uh, Jeff, I said, I feel like when you get off the elevator on the wrong floor and all the floors look alike, you know? And the only thing that tells you you're on the wrong floor is this feeling. I said, that's how I feel. And um, gosh, it was less than two weeks later, I was driving my sister somewhere in Lansing and I dropped her off and then I just started walking around. And there was this hallway, I walked into a building and I kind of, it's a long story, anyway, I'm walking to this building and there's this physical sign, interested in the priesthood, talk to Father Bob. And I'm looking at this sign and I'm like, I talked to Father Bob, you know, twice. Uh, <laughs> And a door opens to my left, and I didn't see anybody yet because I was looking at the sign, and real quick I said, Jesus, if that's Father Bob, I'll try again. And uh, I looked, and it was a priest. And uh, he, he said, it, you know, his name was this priest. Bob's not his name. But... And he told me later, he said, I thought you were a homeless guy. You know, uh, he said, I was literally coming to tell you, go away. Uh, <laughs> I had a Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band t-shirt. You guys remember those guys? And I had long hair and ripped up jeans and my cowboy boots. And it wasn't ripped because of fashion. It's because I'm from Montrose, you know. And I told him, uh, are you the guy that I talked to? And he said, I am. Why don't you come in? And so I told him about this reading. Right? And I said, I don't know why. I don't know what it means. I just know i got to get this off my back. And I figure three strikes, I'm out. Right? And so you say no. If you got to say no, I get it. Um, but uh, he said, well, let's go to seminary. Let, let me just show you what seminary is like. So we drove to Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit for a daily mass. And I swear to God, the gospel reading that day uh, was Jesus multiplying the bread and fish. I was like, well, good Lord, you know, and so the first thing, like him, he, he said, that's all I need. Let's do this. So, you know, you got to go through all these psycho psychological tests, and I was sure that's where they'd be like, oh, no, 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 please, and, and also don't get married, you know, uh, but then you meet with this committee and that committee and this priest and this person, and I somehow got through all of that. And uh, in August of 93, 
I'm driving to Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit in a Pontiac, 1978 Pontiac T-1000. You remember that old girl? Um, and I was scared. And I, uh, I don't want to say I was happy. Uh, I mean, I kind of was. Like, and I'm so ashamed of this. I felt this like, look at me. Yeah, I'm doing what the Lord calls me to. I'm volunteering for a life of misery and, you know, and, and I thought I was so noble. I did. I'm so embarrassed to tell you. I was a kid. What do you want? But when I got there, I did feel a bit behind the eight ball, right? Like I remember the first day, uh, the bishop who ran the seminary was giving this talk about mass and theology, and I'm watching all the new guys nodding, and I'm going, is that English? You know, I... Uh, you know, he's talking about all these terms and all these, and I'm like, oh no, uh, I'm so lost. But I saw happy priests for the next year of my life. I mean, happy priests. And these guys were busting tail, right? They were covering two parishes, three parishes, and dashing into the seminary to, to lecture us and hear our confessions and blast. And I mean, I remember one priest. I literally said to him, bro, when do you sleep? And he said, well, Mondays. And he was serious. Monday. It's my day off. I sleep Monday. But, you know, there's like six other uh, days. I, but they blew me away. They were heroic. They weren't perfect. Thank God. Uh, but they were beautiful. And they loved God. And they loved the church. And I'd seen a pretty dark side of the church a lot growing up. Well, so had they. And they were in. They were all in. And they blew me away. And slowly, my heart started to change from noble me to, well, this can't be right. As I got a sense of what the priesthood is, I was like, you can't have me doing that. Um, I was almost crushed by this sense of, well, now I want to be one. And there's no way I have any business being a priest. And it's so funny, as I got older and talked to married people, I can't believe how many men feel that same way about their wife, you know? But there I was. And toward the end of the first year, I remember that's when it occurred to me, um, I have no business being a priest, and I'm going to try really hard to be one. I, I told uh, one of my dearest friends at seminary, uh, Jerry Battersby, he's a bishop now in Detroit, and he, he said something about, are you coming back? Because that's what you ask everyone at the end of the year. And I said, they're going to have to kill me, right, to keep me from coming back. I want to be a priest. But I didn't know what to do with what I felt. And uh, long story that I will make as short as possible is I had an encounter then in my parish assignment. When you're a seminary and they send you to a parish back then to work, I don't know what they do now. But you work within a parish and you know, I was working as a janitor and I remember uh, someone who worked at the parish kind of told me what I understood to be the truth in a really cruel way to be honest, but just you, people like you shouldn't be priests. You know, and, and I was like, yes. You know, yeah, that's how I feel. But you tell Jesus that uh, because this keeps happening. And, but I, I really was heartbroken. And 
I went back and I was staying with my sister Lori at the time and I told her what happened. And she said, let's pray. And she grabbed a Bible, I swear to God. We prayed and just opened it and there was this gospel again. And I'm like, what is it? And she said, well, she said five loaves and two fish. That's all they had. And that's objectively a stupid answer to 5,000 hungry people. That's not smart. No one looks at 5,000 people and says, oh, five loaves, two fish, that'll cover it. But when they gave it to Jesus, it was more than enough. And she said, I've known you since you were born, and if you can do anything well, it's give everything you got. That's all he needs from you. Give Jesus everything you got. Let him take care of results. And it was one of the most liberating moments of my life. Because, yeah, I'm not worthy to be a priest. I have no business being a priest. I'm a sinner. Um, I'm not better than you, <laughs> clearly. But he lets me hold him in my hands every day. These hands. And, uh, and it's not because I'm worthy. It's because he said so. And so I proceeded, and I even got to skip a year. And I got ordained a year early, June 13, 98, 24 years ago last week. And I'm really happy, you know? And I love this. But what I love the most and what I want to share with you today is not just this story, although I hope it gives hope to any young man who might hear that in your head. I'm giving it to you as a challenge and a blessing that Jesus he wants everything you got. Uh, he wants five loaves and two fish. That's all I got. Good. Because when we're empty, we'll let him fill us. And when we give him all we have, he'll do more with it than we could ever imagine. And then because it, it's such a little thing on our part, we'll know, oh, that's not me. I can't take credit for this. <laughs> and that is a gift. You know, I will quit talking, I promise. And then we'll get to the good stuff, yeah? We're going to get to the moment where you and I, and we have no business doing this, but we're going to because God said to. We're going to get in line, and we're going to receive God into our body in the form of bread. And it's classic God. It's all of him. It's not a piece of him, not a little bit of him, not an imitation of him, not a remembrance of him. This is God in the form of bread. And he's going to give himself to us, all that he is, because he doesn't know how to go halfway. And for you and me, maybe we can respond the same way. Jesus, I'm going to give you all I am, my, my goodness, my badness, my sin, my virtue, my strengths, my weaknesses, my partridge in a pear tree, whatever. I'm giving you all my loaves, all my fish, because you deserve that. And you give all of you to me. Who am I to not imitate that? There's a lot wrong with the world, and I freak out some days. There's so much wrong with the world that there's literally businesses who make millions of dollars just telling you how bad it is. And the answer always seems so elusive because the problem's so big. But it's not elusive. It's just hard. Because it's hard to give all we have to God. But we have to. And if we say, what can my little virtue do in the face of insanity and, and sin, well, it can do a lot. 
Because Jesus doesn't need 5,000 loaves and 5,000 fishes. He just needs all you have. And everyone will get fed. Amen?